Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you're not familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a movie podcast wherein Kyle and I take turns introducing each other to films. Uh, and in this way, we help each other to catch up on our cinema. Uh, so at present, we are currently in the midst of a little special event we're calling Kyle's Killer October. Yeah. Uh, so, Kyle, what have we covered so far this month? Well, I think we started off with Insidious. I wanted to get a nice atmospheric horror movie in. Uh, then last week we covered The Babadook, which is somewhat atmospheric, but a little bit more drama than horror, I found out rewatching. Yeah, it's a psychodrama. Psychodrama. Uh, this week we are upping the body count with a movie from 2012 called Sinister, directed by Scott Dickerson. Derrickson. Derrickson. Is that Dickerson? <laughs> I mean, maybe if you want it to be, but I'm pretty sure it's Derrickson. Well, his name's not important because he doesn't have his name on a lot of great stuff. Um, the the well, day the he, Earth he does have his name Doctor on Strange. some interesting stuff. Yeah. Doctor Strange. He did do Doctor Strange, and then the day the Earth stood still. Uh, the was that Kinanu? That yes, did? it was. Yeah. Um, I think the best scene in that movie is where he speaks Mandarin with uh, James yeah. Hong. Yeah. Uh, and then there's also the interrogation scene early on in the film where some government agent is asking him, like, are you human? And Keanu's response, my body is. My body is. <laughs> I'm like, you th- I think that so wasn't in the no? script. <laughs> no, I think that was just Keanu's actual response. <laughs> I'm putting down no, you are not human. Um, but yeah, uh, Scott Derrickson, as far as I understand, most of his background in the film industry is that of a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, he, he has directed big-budget films, uh, most notable uh, currently being Doctor Strange from 2016. Yeah. Uh, so Kyle, uh, knowing that this fella has a, a horror background with, with Sinister, which he co-wrote and directed, yeah. um, there, there's a really strong suggestion at this point that the Doctor Strange sequel, which he's also going to be heading up, is mm. going to be more more explicitly horror oriented. Oh. Uh, in fact, very likely more touching on like Lovecraftian themes. Interesting. Do you think he has the tools to do it right? Um, no, I don't. Uh, because with a Lovecraftian uh, style film, I want practical effects, and there's only one director out there that I think is actually going to take the time to make the practical effects, and that's Guillermo. Guillermo. Um, <laughs> I think it'll be CGI garbage, to be honest with you. Um, well, it absolutely will be, and I think a lot of it is what you said, time. Yeah. Um, practical effects require time. I think Guillermo's, like, in his garage since, like, the late 90s has been working on Lovecraft stuff. He's not he's not revealed it, but he's got, like, his own little project he's working on at home. He's like, I'm going to bring this to life, and eventually I'm going to make a movie. Because well, he's fucking what weird. you're telling me is that Guillermo's going to bring about the end of all humanity because yeah. he's probably going to open up a portal to yes. somewhere, yes. some other dimension. Like, I was too busy trying to make it <laughs> when I could actually just bring it into the world. Yeah, and you know he's just going to be so joyful and bouncy when the cataclysm happens, like when the tentacles come through the wall. He's just going to be like, "Oh, Scott, it finally happened!" <laughs> Scott Derrickson's like the fucking Christian Bale in uh, the Prestige, and he's and Guillermo's like the the, the Hugh Jackman like making magic basically. <laughs> Uh, have you ever seen uh, Guillermo's uh, his notebooks? Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're they're wonderful. Yeah. They're works of art unto themselves. In fact, I think there's like a traveling museum of just like prop, props he's designed and like his his artwork and his journaling. I mean, he's a fascinating guy. He's and, great. And I'd, I'd like to see his name on a on an H.P. Lovecraft Ian uh, film. I don't know if we'll get there though. But uh, I was going to mention. Um, 
He also, this director also uh, did The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is not a bad uh, exorcism movie. Okay. I don't know if you've seen that one. I haven't. And he did one of the Hellraisers, one of the not probably good Hellraisers. Oh, fuck. Inferno, like, I think? See, I haven't seen that one. Okay. Uh, where I left off, I think, was... Two? No, four. Okay. Um, four, I think, is the one that it, it's like Bloodline, I think, is what it's called. Sure. It's It takes place in both the past and the future. There's a giant oh, satellite that turns into the puzzle box. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. and there's a random like skinned like demon monster thing that stalks this fella through the satellite. It's actually not that bad. There's that's an example of like we have such a good we have such great uh, character that we have like Pinhead is such a good character design. Like all right, we got to make a movie around this. So like nah, dude, we don't really need much of a movie. Like he's pretty much just gonna sell it. It's fine. Well, what was funny is like I'm pretty sure Hellraiser came out in like '88 or '89. Sure, yeah. So before Todd McFarlane was cranking out Spawn toys and stuff, but I'm sure like the moment he saw that movie, he's like, I'm a, I'm gonna make that a toy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like I'm gonna gobble up the that rights to that. Will be a toy. Yeah, that will be a toy. Along with the Kiss Psycho Circus, because kids love Kiss. I definitely. Yeah, kids Nin- love Kiss. '90s kids love Kiss. We're gonna make bang. Uh, it actually worked because uh, Kiss had a comeback there in they the nineties. Uh, Although WCW, did you ever hear about that? Mm-mm. They did a live concert on WCW. It was nice. I think it was me. Monday Night Nitro, and it was lip synced poorly, and like I think it was historically the lowest rated episode of that entire program's history. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just saw the clip of uh, Vince McMahon holding his uh, new assistant interview in the middle of the ring. Oh yeah. That is one of the... F- He's the worst actor in the history of anything. He's so hammy, though. It's so It's funny. beautiful. It's so funny. It's, his, have you ever seen him walk down the ramp? Oh, yeah. I've walked... That, yeah. It's so... Flipping and Conor flopping. Ma- is Conor McGregor walk? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 beautiful. I'm sorry, but Conor McGregor has a Vince McMahon walk. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, sorry Thank about you. that. I appreciate that. <laughs> so yeah, so Sinister. I picked this because we it just kind of kept coming up when we were talking about contemporary, like recent contemporary yeah, horror. This kind of came up mid episode because yeah. you, like, full disclosure, Kyle wasn't planning on doing this this movie this no. month um, until like we were halfway through Sinister or something or, or Insidious. Yeah. Um, so what did you have planned instead of it? Uh, I think I was gonna do. Uh, I really wanted to get the void in on this on this round, but it, there's a time. There's time and place. We don't have to do it this month. Um, <laughs> I think you're really gonna enjoy that movie. So do I. Um, I think I was gonna do the ritual. Uh, it might still be on the list, but I think that's what was gonna be coming next. Um, and it might have been another atmospheric horror, but I, I can't remember. But I'm pretty sure it was The Ritual. I think it was The Ritual. What was that, like 2014? No, 2017, oh, wow. 2018, uh, 2018 actually. Um, I watched it for my 30th birthday uh, <laughs> with some pancakes. Nice. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> I, 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 my girlfriend hates horror movies, so I managed to, like, hey, it's my birthday. We're watching a horror movie. And you're making me pancakes. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I didn't say it. It wasn't like that. I'm like, could you make me some blueberry pancakes? For there my you birthday? go. Um and I'm like, well, it's a Netflix horror movie. It shouldn't be too bad. It looks kind of fun. And it ended up being way better than I thought, which is why I was going to put it on here because it's a Netflix feature. Um, but this one I thought would be a little bit better because, uh, as I said, one of the things that I use to grade how good a horror movie is is how soon I want to shut it off because I'm getting spooked. I'm getting a little scared. And this is one I actually turned off because I was watching it by myself in an empty house um, in the middle of October and it was just too, it was like, oh, I'm not, not today. Uh, I need people in the house that I can go talk to in case I get a little too spooked. 
And I actually had to come back to it. And I actually told my brother, I'm like, I think we're going to do Sinister. And he's like, ooh, that's scary. <laughs> he's like, that's a scary one. But yeah, um, I, the reason why I liked this one um, originally is the same reason I liked Seven, was that it's not a scary movie necessarily, but it's the way people are dying is really is really spooky scary. And this is, a, this is actually a horror movie. Um, Seven is not a horror movie. It's just scary for me. And this, if you remove the demon element, spoiler, uh, <laughs> if you remove the demon element, it's not a far-fetched, it's not a far-fetched story at all, besides, you know, who's actually doing the killing. Yeah. Um, if you replace this with, like, Red, if you just take Ray Fiennes and make this the Red Dragon, you've got a, a completely different movie here. Like, oh, yeah, it, this very easily could have been a serial killer story. And, yeah, I was going to say, this would actually work really well as a serial killer story. And you could completely change the film to be... This guy is killing families, taking video footage of it, and then somebody moves into the new house, he breaks in, puts video footage of him killing the family, and keeps doing this for each family. Like, it could have been an interesting idea. Yeah, no, it absolutely could have been. Uh, although, what's interesting about this is, again, I think every movie we've done this month has been very, very low budget. Most horror movies are. Yeah. But these these are Blumhouse productions. These are low investment, high return productions. I was scared the WWE logo was coming up. I'm oh, like, fuck. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the Blumhouse logo, like, it's funny because it's like that, that just like 10 second animation or whatever is scarier than, you know, some other entire movies <laughs> I've seen. Um, but logistically, this movie like has a lot going for it. Like if you're if you're thinking at it from like a production standpoint, it's like okay, what do we need to get this done? It's like well, we need eight millimeter film mm-hmm. and a house and a house and With the Ethan, Ethan Hawke in a dude sweater. This is the darkest house in movie history. He, all he had to do is turn on the lights. But... I literally have him here turn on a fucking hall light. <laughs> he has a hall light on at one point. And he can't see down the hallway. <laughs> Maybe he's uh, really, really hung over from day to day and the lights are just too much for him to bear or something. Uh, yeah, it's, it's actually not a, not a bad point. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> well, yeah, from a logistical standpoint, like there's a lot going for it because we have a situation where we need a guy to do a lot of detective work. But he doesn't have to go anywhere. He doesn't have to go anywhere. <laughs> he doesn't even have to get in the car. Well, let's move in, because uh, I don't think that he should have any of this stuff, uh, because Ethan Hawke is playing a writer. Uh, you know this from the first scene, because he's wearing a sweater with a little leather uh, elbow. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a writer. Yeah, I saw the fucking yeah, sweater, we'll, dude. We'll sweater with leather patches. <laughs> yeah, we know you're a writer, dude. Uh, so he moves his family into a new home um, against their will. Uh, they none of them want to move except for him. Um, he's asked kindly to leave by the sheriff uh, because I guess he wrote a book that was uh, critical of police investigation. Uh, some scary stuff happens. They move and the movie ends. Uh, yeah, that's a good summary. I'm not. Gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spoil the ending just yet. Um, but yeah, Ethan Hawke is a true crime. Well, Ethan Hawke was a writer, mm. uh, and then we come to find out he. It's a very very small scene. It's very quick, but he basically gave up writing what he was what he enjoyed to have a family, and now he's having financial trouble. So he's going back to true crime. So he moves his family into a house where a murder just happened, which is actually our cold open. Yeah, uh, the opening shot of this movie is it sets the tone very well. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I really enjoyed the first ten minutes or so of this movie yeah. just from a like a a, sc- a screenwriting standpoint. Yeah. Uh, it's very efficient. 
Uh, they get so much done in just the first few minutes of this movie. It's like, you know, I got to tip my hat to them. That's 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 really efficient filmmaking. And the first shot of this movie is just grainy footage. Um, we learn later on that it's Super 8 footage. Mm-hmm. Um, actually shot on Super 8 to, yeah. to get the right effect and everything. It, it, it was worth the extra effort. It was. Because those sequences look great. And basically it's just a... It's just an establishing shot of uh, four people with bags on their heads with nooses around their necks uh, standing out under a tree. That is a way to start a movie. Yeah, and they do a really good job of pacing it out because for a good 20 seconds or so, nothing happens. And it gives you to- it gives you ample opportunity to examine the geography of the frame mm-hmm. and understand like logistically what's going on here. It's like, okay, they're standing under the tree and then your eye starts to... like wander around the frame and notice that oh hey there's a frayed bit it's a very large branch but it's frayed and it's hanging off to the side and there's a rope attached to it which is attached to all the nooses and then in slow motion the branch starts to dip down and the people start to raise up and and it doesn't take a genius to figure out that ain't good good, no (laughs) that's not good for the human body um and then they stand they like kick their legs for a little bit uh, obviously, their necks aren't going to be broken by just that. No, that's uh, a long time. So that's hanging. an asphyxiation death right there. Um, and then just like I think the it's supposed to simulate like the the film like going off the rails kind of, not literally, but um, and Aha! That... his neck did not break. <laughs> that's just what I was thinking. <laughs> Kyle Sorry. was Kyle was, was shooting me a face that whole I, time I was talking. I was holding on to it. I was holding on to it. Sorry. Just when you said it didn't break their necks, I'm like, ah, go ahead. Sorry. I apologize. I, I didn't mean to derail you there. Like literally, uh, the 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 film skitters off the rail, and then uh, we get a still frame of the people hanging, and just tiny at the bottom of the screen, the title, sinister. Sinister. So it's not quite on the level of Insidious where we get flames yeah. and Insidious. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little bit more subtle. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they move, and, then, and then we get to see the family moving in. Yeah, uh, moving in day. Uh, he's a writer. I don't know if you mentioned that. Um, Sheriff, uh, this guy was actually in Cape Fear, and I know that he's a congressman or a senator of some yeah, kind. Yeah, uh, Fred Dalton. Fred Dalton. Uh, he he comes in. He's really kind of nice about it. He's like, hey, we don't want you living here. I need you to go ahead and leave. And he's like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to stick around. Uh, uh, you're I love not, that exchange yeah, there. You're not allowed to do that, by the way, if you're a cop. Uh, <laughs> he rambles in before he even gets into town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we need you to go. So Ethan Hawke is writing true crime in lieu of fiction. Uh, I guess he's been having a little bit of trouble. He doesn't want to, um, what does he say, uh, edit school books? Yeah, uh, textbooks. Textbooks, yeah. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to edit textbooks. I guess it's probably tedious not very lucrative not a lot of money in that um well it we get the sense that it has more to do with pride than than the financial end of things because uh, the way he explains it to his daughter it sounds more like i can't do that because i couldn't i can't look at myself in the mirror if i do that yeah yeah and kind of he kind of goes back and forth in this movie because he said like well, based on the house they live in i think they're doing all right they're doing fine uh the house that they move in later that's I'm what like, i'm talking holy no that's shit. where they move back to yeah so that's house wow. number one. That was house number one? They're doing fine. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. That's an estate. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we um, he's working on uh, this this the murder that happened in this house. His wife doesn't know. She even asks him. She's like, we didn't move two doors down from a, a crime scene. He's like, honey, I promise you, we did not move two doors down from a crime scene. 
I'm sorry, Your Honor. That will hold up. That is, that, my client did not lie. He, it would depend on what is, is. <laughs> I, I, I sent you a text last night when we were watching this. I'm like, you cannot win a marital argument with a technicality. It does not exist. You cannot. Good fucking luck with that. Technically, I'm sorry, sweetie. Technically, um, you ate four of the eight ding-dongs, and I only ate three, and the last one was mine. So technically, I didn't eat the last ding-dong. You ate your last ding dong, and I ate my last one. Yeah, see how that fucking holds oh up. Oh my god, <laughs> this is why I can't play Dungeons and Dragons with people. <laughs> people trying to out lawyer each other. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds like fun. Uh, so yeah, we, we he has all these crime scene photos. He's he's quote unquote working on a novel or working on a book. We never see him doing any writing, as you mentioned before we got going. There's like. A couple of seconds of footage of him typing. Yeah. Uh, and then the rest of the time, it's all detective work and research. Jack Nicholson wrote, all work and oh no play makes Jack a dull boy more. Hey, he, he put in his reps. <laughs> he got his repetitions yeah. in, man. <laughs> he was wrote... warming up those fingers for months. He... <laughs> <laughs> but um, we find out that uh, the youngest daughter's missing from that exchange with the cop. Yes. Uh, so family of four, family of five, four of them are murdered. Little girl's missing. Um, and I, one of my questions was, how does a writer get crime scene photos? Because these aren't like newspaper photos or anything like that. Like these are things that uh, fucking Mark Ruffalo would have been looking over in Zodiac. Like they're legit like crime scene photos. Yeah, I don't know how that works. I would imagine. Uh, well, I mean, one of the one of the things that's exchanged between him and Fred Dalton is. Uh, well, I guess the I can assume that the police department here is not at my disposal. Yeah, and he's that, like very much so. Very much. <laughs> I'm like, well, how the fuck did you get these? Because this isn't like I don't even think these are legal for him to have. In I would general. imagine you probably have to have the blessing of the police department as well as the surviving family members. Well, they don't have. Well, I if mean, they don't have any, yeah. maybe not the case. But I would imagine you probably need to make good with them too. Uh, just that's just my assumption. I don't know the legality of it. Well, for the rest of the movie, well, that's what's interesting is because he's. I don't feel like he's allowed to have these photos, but apparently he is because the cop doesn't say anything. But he has this film, and he almost calls the cop. He calls the cops at one point as if he's gonna like like turn him in for evidence, and he doesn't. So I mean, they're snuff films. He's not supposed to have those. So I guess we just have to assume he's allowed to have the crime scene photos. It just seems a little it seems a little murky for me. Well, then again, like de- de- deputy so and so, he has to acquire things through him on the sly. Easily, like he's just like, <laughs> I need you to do this for me. He's like, Done. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, no, no problem. Again, whatsoever. that's all. That's all like skittering around like the red tape and stuff. Like right now, cops are shooting people they're not supposed to. So yeah, nobody's watching the evidence. Like nobody's watching the photos, dude. They're, they are busy right now. Uh, so uh, he ends up finding the films. I think upstairs. Um, there's creaky, creaky noises. Like kind of early on, I think he hears something in the attic. Um, yeah, I think that happens um, around the time he starts watching the films. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, when he finds the films, it's very abrupt. Uh, he just kind of goes up into the attic to drop a box off and finds a scorpion, which oh, yeah. which he kills in the coolest way. On accident, on purpose? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like that, because I was like, see, that's something I wouldn't think to do. No. I, I would pull out a gun and start shooting at him. <laughs> and like, missing repeatedly. Out of it. <laughs> pop, 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 pop. Two clips. Uh, no, but like, missed he, him. <laughs> he's carrying a box, and he just like accidentally drops it on top of the scorpion. I was like... 
you know, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You're carrying a large, flat-bottomed object. Yeah. That's perfect for squishing. Box of books, perfect. Heavy, yeah. not going to do any damage. Yeah, but his reaction, you can tell it's a mistake, because he says, shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, but also, if it was a scorpion, I don't know that I would have the balls to try to kill it. I'd probably find a way to, like, knock it away or, like, get it away from me. But I wouldn't try to squish it, because I'd be afraid that it would survive. <laughs> Maybe he was like, oh, shit, I could have said a prayer to... Uh, the Dark Underlord, and then eaten it, and then I would have had the army of the dead uh, behind me. Scorpion, or Mummy Returns, by the way. Um. Uh, but um, I did like right before he goes up into the attic. There's again very efficient filmmaking here. Um, we get to see him like take a lap through the house, mm. uh, so we learn the geography of the house a little bit. Really, really good, efficient filmmaking right there. Uh, he yells at his son, so we can tell the son's kind of that kind of kid. Yeah. Uh, we can tell that he's closer with the daughter. Uh, she's painting on the walls. Just put a pin in that. Uh, I wonder if she's going to paint something sinister later. <laughs> I wonder. Um, and then uh, after his wife asks him, like, did we move into a murder house? No, honey, we didn't move into no. a No, we didn't move in next to a murder house. We didn't. <laughs> we did not move in next door to a murder house. You can quote me on that. Um, but after that exchange, there's this really cool shot where he's standing in the kitchen and they have a, like a glass sliding door that goes out into the backyard and the camera just kind of pans over and we see the tree mm -hmm. exactly as it was in yeah. the opening shot of the film. So very quickly without, without it ever explicitly being stated to us, the audience, like from a visual standpoint, it's like, Oh, we oh. Are, we're at the murder house. I forgot about that. Yeah, and I really like that kind of stuff. I kind of I because I knew I've seen this movie before, so I knew what was going to happen. So I didn't really pay attention to that. But yeah, that's yeah. And he like sighs when he sees it. And they kind of there's a lot of things there too on the nose, as you said before mm -hmm. we started recording. In this little movie. girl painting. That's the other thing. I'm like, she's definitely going to paint something bad. Repetition is a bit of a problem in this movie, if you ask me. Um, we th see these videos a lot. Yeah, there's there's a few too many instances of, of like a familiar rhythm, and part of that though I think has to do with like the theater experience though. Is it's that true. Um, false scares are really easy to set up if you keep serving someone up the same image and the same editing style over and over and over again. It's like yeah. oh nothing's gonna happen now because I've seen this before. That's smart. Yeah. And then bah something yeah. happened. Yeah. Um, unexpectedly, but. Yeah, the, the repetition of the tree actually did bother me a little bit because that first time we see it's really great. But a couple more times later on in the movie, we we pan over to the tree again and he sighs again. It's like... Yeah, dude, we know. It's like, yeah, you feel guilty that you moved your family into the murder house. You should. You deceived your wife. Yeah, you should feel bad. <laughs> you should feel bad to the point that you moved out of the murder house a while ago. But no, he takes a sweet fucking time. But yeah, uh, we get up into the attic and... Yeah, he finds the the box, and he's like, "Oh, this is kind of cool." He's like, "This is like some old like old canisters of film." So he's like, "Obviously, the first one he puts in is uh, the family dying, and because he's a writer, he can't handle this very well. He has to get a glass of whiskey." Um, that was the other the writer telephoning it in. Like, oh yeah, I noticed that real quick. That like, he's got a beer at dinner, and he's got I think he downs two shots of was it whiskey? Uh, yeah, Shivas, I think. Uh. Two shots of something or other. In the watching of one film, which yeah. is only a few minutes long. <laughs> Are you a writer? You better get a sweater, cigarettes, and a glass of and a bottle of whiskey. But like to touch on some stuff that's probably not the most interesting. But I'm just curious what you what you had to say about it. Um, before he watches the films, he has a heart to heart with mom, mm -hmm. with his wife. Yeah, uh, who's British. Yeah. Um, she's low key hot. Yeah. Fun. Yeah, she actually is. She's very lovely. I like her nose. Yeah. Um, 
funny enough, she's a, I don't know her name, but it's Rylance. And on a whim, I, I looked it up, and sure enough, she's Mark Rylance's daughter. Oh, uh, Stepdaughter, I think. Wow. Uh, Mark Rylance being, like, Steven Spielberg's current muse and recent Oscar winner. I was going to say, the name definitely sounds familiar. Yeah. Uh, he's a weird old man. He gotcha. has a weird voice. It's like, crackly. That's just, like, his natural speaking voice. He sounds like the the guy from uh, episode one. Oh, <laughs> <Watto>. gotcha. oh. <laughs> Who is doing, like, a really, really, really bad stereotype. An Italian stereotype, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or Greek, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, um, we have dinner, and I really love the way the conversation is is uh, edited and and performed, because uh, this is really naturalistic dialogue uh, between the two kids, the, the long-haired boy who I thought was a girl for a few minutes yeah, there, yeah. and when he comes out of that box, definitely thought he was a girl with no boobs, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the little red-head girl... And then mom and dad, they're all having Chinese food, and they're talking about financial situations because they got two mortgages now because they didn't sell the big, the gigantic fucking mansion that they the cur- that they lived. Yeah, the estate that they lived in before they moved into the murder house. So they got two mortgages. So money's a little bit of an issue here. Um, but I really love the way the dialogue flowed here because it feels like an actual conversation. It mm. doesn't it doesn't feel like exposition or anything. This just feels like dinner table chat. Yeah complete with kids interrupting and being obnoxious yeah. so, um, but that's followed up with uh, mom in bed in her PJs she wears formal PJs I always like that I, I, like I really like I that I love when people wear formal PJs Madman, all, all, all on there uh, yeah I mean what at the beginning of Insidious same deal <laughs> I like PJs <laughs> you don't see that enough like most of, the, I'm assuming most of my friends just sleep in underwear. Like it's just underwear and yeah, t-shirt. Un- Nobody un- sleeps in that stuff. I, I sleep in underwear and a boro boro t-shirt, as they call it on the island, like garbage t-shirt. Gym, yeah, gym shorts and a t-shirt for me. Yeah, I'm boring. I guess. I need like, to get. You have to. You have to make enough money to to afford PJs like yeah, that. You need a. You need an estate to sleep in PJs. Yeah, you need an estate. <laughs> Coppola sleeps in PJs. Oh fuck yes, he sleeps in satin PJs. Yes. <laughs> Complete with like, like embroidered initials, yeah. <laughs> like his and hers. <laughs> um, but yeah, mom's in bed and she's doing the thing where she's got her back turned to hubby, and uh, he comes in. At, I'm sorry, but his outfit, like he said, it's the writer's uniform. Yeah, writer. Um, he's got the tassels hanging from the sweater too. I couldn't help but think of uh, the Will Ferrell sketch with the lovers. The lovers, yeah. <laughs> like it's that to a T, just yeah. with a smaller beard. He does have a beard, um, but he spoons with her, like not lovingly, but kind of like he's trying to get something from her. Yeah. <laughs> Where she she's trying to go to sleep, and she has a heart to heart with him. And do you remember the exchange here? Mm-mm. Basically, she confronts him on all of his bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and she she exposits to us the audience that's like. This is our financial situation. I know you're writing this book. Whenever you do your tri- your true crime shit, weird stuff happens and shit gets hairy with the family. Uh, the things are on edge with the family right now. Shape up. Otherwise, I'm taking the kids. Yeah, she gives them like a straight up like, hey, if you don't figure this shit out, if you don't make any money from this or it just doesn't work out, like I'm taking the kids and going to my mom. Yeah, it's pretty heavy fucking shit. That's not good. That's not no. a good thing. You just moved into this house and this is the first conversation you have when you're getting ready for bed? There was a, there was a good clip in the office where Pam is talking to uh, one of the other people. She's like, it's not good to start a relationship off with an ultimatum. Like that's not, like you don't want to give somebody an or else. And 
I think the same goes for a marriage. Like, hey, figure this shit out, or I'm gonna do this. Like, that's not good. That's that's not a good relationship. But as we can see, as we move along, he's a piece of shit. Uh, yeah, and I I liked though that they weren't afraid to to make that be true. Yeah, like like I could easily see a, a writer pigeonholing themselves into a situation where it's like but I want the people to like him. Like, I want them to feel bad when something bad happens. It's like, no. No. It's like, it's Ethan Hawke. He's very good at being unlikable. You already don't like him. It takes a lot for you to like Ethan Hawke. I don't, I can't (laughs) think of a movie I've seen him in where I liked him. Like, even in Lord of War, he's the, technically the good guy, but he's still a little piece of shit. No, he's, he's an interesting actor. Mm. I feel I don't give him enough credit, actually. Like, I actually feel genuinely bad because he has put in a lot of good work especially in the past like 10 years or so he's taken a lot of chances he's done a lot of roles that were not beneath him but like on the periphery of probably what his what he should be doing Mm -hmm. so like smaller films and stuff and i guess he's been just killing it for like 10 years straight and that first reformed movie is supposed to be excellent like it was I don't know if it was up for Oscars, but it was certainly up for a lot of awards. Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, he's really good in that. I, Philip Seymour Hoffman's the best part of that movie, but Ethan Hawke is really good in that movie. No, he's a very talented actor. It's just he. Uh, my brother tried to explain this to me a long time ago about Claire Danes. Oh yeah. It's like whenever you look at Claire Danes and you watch her do her thing, you're like, cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah. But that's the point. It's like sometimes being able to do that, to be normal on camera, is actually a talent. Yeah. And, and also she's very good at crying. <laughs> That's a talent. That's a she's, talent. She's, so is Michael Fassbender. And almost every production she's involved with, they ask her to cry multiple times because <laughs> she's so fucking good. Interesting. And, you know, funny enough. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, uh, you want to get to him watching the films? So yeah, he, yeah. After this heart-to-heart, he... He runs off into the office. For the most part, the middle part of this movie is just him watching films and ignoring clear signs to move the fuck out of that house. Uh, <laughs> that is the whole, like, the majority of this movie. Yeah, two-hour movie, that's about an hour and a half of it. But I remember watching it the first time. Like, the, the, the deaths on screen are really creepy. And I think the, the, the uh, what did you call it, Super 8? or yeah. uh, the, the Super 8 footage is really helpful in this because... The light on the camera is very limited because uh, it's 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 not even a flashlight. It's like it's barely picking up anything in front. It's like of it. a silver dollar, basically. Yeah. yeah. So it you really have to like search for what you're looking at. Like you're trying to find something, and it really works on one of the death scenes, the lawnmower. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That that one got me. Like, that, oh, was, fuck! that was in the theater. I'm sure that was great. It got me in my bedroom. Like it was pretty good. <laughs> So yeah, he's he's watching the he's watching the films. He's got his glass of whiskey. He's you know this is after he talks to his daughter. Um, now he's working through the photos. Um, they're from all different years. I think they start out in like the '60s. Um, he goes back to one where uh, people are burned alive in a car. Like we see the family out on like a lake, and the it's important to know how the footage is presented. It's not somebody interacting with them. It's somebody watching them. And I didn't notice it the first time I watched it, and the second time I'm like, oh, this is actually, like, creepy. Like, somebody's videotaping them from afar, it's not somebody in the family. And it, it shows them having a nice day, and then it cuts to dark garage. Uh, car has got chains all on it, and, like, little reveals here, we're like, oh. Uh, and then we see that there's people duct-taped inside the car, 
And we're like, well, that's not good. And this is the one that got me watching it the first time. I think it was about when I shut it off. And then the car's on fire. I'm like, motherfuckers are burning alive yeah. in their own car. That that one got me. Uh, <laughs> going back around the second time, um, there are horror movies that I can rewatch. This is one that I don't think I'm ever going to watch again, just because it doesn't carry the same weight the second time around. No, it, this is definitely not one that I would bother with the second time. No. It's definitely a one and done. It's a one and done. Um, but the... The flow of the editing once he starts watching the films is is really fascinating because we both name dropped Zodiac at some point when yeah. we were talking off air. Uh, it has a similar feel to it because it's a it's a detective story. Yeah, uh, this is a situation where it's a, it's a character who who who's got to know. Yeah, he 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 needs to know, and so he keeps digging deeper and deeper and deeper. Even though, like you said, all signs point to you need to stop. Yeah, you need to get the fuck out of here. Um, which later on it's kind of funny because this the screenplay actually has a, a solution for that in terms of like that wouldn't work yeah that would actually make things worse um but yeah when he first starts watching the film it needs to be said all the cans for the film have cute labels on them yeah like hanging out with the family pool party <laughs> barbecue pool party yeah i forgot yeah <laughs> mowing the lawn mowing the lawn <laughs> Um, um, so when he first puts on the, the hanging out with the family, um, it's just a bunch of people in their front yard like throwing the football around and a girl playing on the tire swing. Yeah. Uh, and then abruptly the footage cuts yeah. to exactly what we saw at the beginning of the movie of the hanging of the four people. And then, you know, Ethan Hawke has a reaction to that. Um, as you would. Yeah, as, as most humans would, unless you're Keanu and you're, only your body is. <laughs> only my body. Um, but whenever we're watching the Super 8 footage in this movie, um, something that's really, really great and maybe the most, like, horrific aspect of the film, like, the most effective, if you ask me, is the music. The, the music is good, because it's um, kind of like a, when we when we're first see the footage, it's kind of like a tome, 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 it... It, it, there's a droning quality to yeah. it and the the choice of instrumentation it, it's very intimidating uh it definitely puts you on your heels like you feel yourself like kind of squish into your couch or whatever yeah. you're sitting in like, at the oh, time fuck yeah. yeah you know something bad is going to happen just from the music yeah and there's no sound in the videos you no watch, no um which would make sense because not all super 8 equipment had audio usually it needed to be recorded from an external source uh, so this being like shot on a home video camera um, we don't have any audio, so all we have is music playing over it. Um, from a directing standpoint, one choice that could have been made here, and I don't know if it would have made it better, I don't think it would have actually, is uh, you could have had him watch the films with pure silence. Mrs. Jacoby in human form, do you see? Mrs. Jacoby changing, do you see? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, essentially. Basically, just the sound of Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, oh, God. <laughs> I mean uh, Ethan Hawke reacting to the footage while you hear the, the film reel going. Yeah. The pool party scene made me think of Red Dragon. That's why I, I, I was like, it just feels like Red Dragon. Like that, That's what creeped me out, because it feels like somebody, like a serial killer is doing this. Well, also... Again, the, the home video footage is, is shot from a voyeuristic angle. Mm. And this is actually part of what killed the movie for me in some ways, is that whenever I, whenever I look at footage shot in that way, be it, be it like photos of people or, or you know, home video footage or what have you, my, my first question is always, who is filming this? Yeah. 
Um, and sure enough, Ethan Hawke, we see very clearly, like, right in the center of the frame. Like, it has a whole shot dedicated to yeah. it. Writes, like, who's filming? Yeah. Where's Stephanie? And immediately my brain was like, well, clearly she's behind the camera. Obviously. And, and yeah. it ends up being correct, and I was a little disappointed that that was the case. Um, but, you know, that's that's not going to ruin the movie for everyone. But for me, I was like, oh, man, I wanted it to be a little more... But yeah, the music that plays over each of these sequences is brilliant stuff. Um, I tried to look it up, but it's it's the product of many many composers, mm. like a lot of Norwegian like black metal bands. I, I'm not a big fan of black metal. Are you? I ha- I oddly enough, my friendship family, I have a couple of people who are into black metal. Um, I, there's actually a few choice songs here and there that uh, they're actually kind of the outliers of those bands because it's a very specific sound. Uh, well, metal in general has the most subgenres of any brand of music I know. Black metal is a very—it's a very much a punk rock uh, branch of metal where it is underground is the true black metal. It has to have a specific sound to it. If it just anything outside of it, it's not true black metal. And the fan base is die hard. That's what I understand. Like I have a couple of friends that are into it too, and it's to the point that like there's so many subgenres of metal that. I don't even know what the fuck I like because I don't know what it's actually classified as because so many people are so fucking persnickety about it. I, I don't <laughs> I don't care for that particular style. There's a couple of songs I like here and there that just kind of stick out. But no, my I'm more of a uh, hardcore where punk and metal kind of mixed. That yeah. sounds about right for what I know of you. Yeah, that that's more fun. It's more upbeat. It's more it's good gym music. That's why I listen to. I'm in the gym. Or working out like that—that's good. Black metal doesn't really do anything for me. Yeah, it's I'm, very eerie. It's a very eerie type of metal. It's not entertaining for me. Yeah. It's not something I would listen to on my own time. But in this film, yeah, very effective. I do have to say, um, musically, they are some of the most talented musicians. Absolutely. They are phenomenal Absolutely. at their instruments. Yeah, some of the greatest. Some of the greatest drummers of all time are just within that. That's genre. what's always funny is that like. I've always thought of it as like you have some of the most talented musicians out there and they choose to do this. Well, <laughs> you have some really talented musicians that um, are Rush and sorry guys, not a big Rush fan. Like Neil Peart's the, considered the greatest drummer of all time. I can I cannot stomach Rush. Like sorry guys. I'm if you're if you're a big Rush fan out there, listen to something different. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, the the other composer listed for the film that got primary credit was Christopher Young, mm. who as I told you off air, I know mostly as like an appendage or an assistant to an appendage <laughs> like that to uh, to Danny Elfman. Yeah. Um, and then I I made sure to tell you because I always thought it was funny. Well, actually funny story. Um, so Spider-Man the Spider-Man films. Yeah. Uh, composed by Danny Elfman. We need to specify the, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man yes, the films. the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. Uh, Not the other, whatever. John Favreau, maybe. I don't know. I feel like he's behind one Mark of Mark Webb. Oh, okay. I feel like he got that gig just because his name was Webb. Very much. I think he did, like, one of those, uh, I think he did, like, 500 Days of Summer or something like Ugh. that. And then, yeah, they were, they were trying to take, like, the rom-com, like, feel and transpose it onto Spider-Man. The Amazing Spider-Man films are awful. Um... The, the the Marvel Spider-Man movies I actually have Far From Home like on my shelf over there I haven't watched it yet I was to say Spider-Man the the Tom Holland one is John Watts yeah that name means nothing to me um, it should I wasn't a 
huge fan of Homecoming, to be honest. I couldn't care. I do not give a shit about Spider-Man. See, I, I do, but I'm too old. <laughs> I'm 32, and God damn it, I don't care about teenagers. I have heard nothing but good things about End of the Spider-Verse. That's what I've heard, too. I, I'm i probably never going to give it the time of day. But no, I'll watch it. Uh, I've... I've also heard nothing but good. I've heard it's incredible from a visual standpoint. And even the storytelling is supposed to be like really clever, very heartwarming stuff. I feel I owe it to myself to watch it. Mm. And and I do that from time to time. I like to see like what the kids are up to every once in a while. Yeah, check in, see what's happening. Yeah, like like I want to watch that that most recent Power Rangers movie oh. just to see what you know the what? 90s transposed onto the 2010s looks like. And same with the Ninja Turtles movie. Those movies are terrible. Oh, awesome. Second one's a little bit better, actually. I give it some credit, but I watched that just because I was curious, like, what are the kids into? Like, what do the producers think kids like nowadays? And how does it differ from what I liked? Because I know what I liked. (laughs) I don't know what the kids do, but to to bring things back around. Yeah, yeah. Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, uh, the first two, or at least most of the first two, uh, were composed by Danny Elfman. Uh, with Christopher Young doing some bits here and there. In fact, I think he did one of the better pieces in Spider-Man 2, which was the train sequence. Um, and then by the time we get to Spider-Man 3, I don't know the details of this, but apparently Sam Raimi and Danny Elfman had some sort of falling out. Uh, they worked together before, I think, on Darkman. I was going to ask you, uh, that might be it, because Danny Elfman, if, you, if you've never heard of Danny Elfman, watch a Tim Burton movie. Uh, <laughs> you'll figure out who he is pretty quick. Um if you think about it, Raimi, what what was Raimi doing before Spider Man? Like Dark Man, yeah, that's not a Tim Burton esque movie, but it has more of a pulse of a Tim Burton movie. And well, we are still in the shadow of Batman eighty nine, yeah, like, for sure. And I'm thinking if you're like working with Sam Raimi, he's like, oh, the Evil Dead guy, and he and we worked on Dark Man together. I'm like, yeah, let's do. We're gonna do an awesome Spider Man movie. And he's like, this is commercial bullshit. Like, this is just, like... Danny Elfman's kind of... Oingo Boingo. Yeah. And, uh, was it Forbidden Zone, I think? His whole family is a little funky. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would not be surprised if, like, he kind of turned his nose up to it. Although, the 2000s were really, really rough for Danny Elfman. Like, he did some... Like, Wanted. He did Wanted. Tim Burton He did a good song for Wanted, though. Like, the music in that movie is only okay. There's a good montage track. Like, that plays over James McAvoy training. Mm-hmm. And then there's a great-ass Danny Elfman song. But if you think... Just think about, like, any Danny Elfman score from a Tim Burton movie would never... Like, you cannot put it on a Spider-Man movie. Like, any no, of the same... No. It just doesn't work. No. And it might... It, I think maybe stylistically, what Sam Raimi was looking for was not what Danny Elfman was gonna well, produce. not only that, by the time we get to Spider-Man 3, Sam Raimi was notoriously unhappy. Like, yeah, infamously unhappy. I don't want to do this. Uh, he he didn't want to do it because Sony was like, "Hey, we need Venom," and he's like, "I don't like Venom." You want to eat, Raimi? You want to eat? You're doing <laughs> Venom. Well, what's really funny is that like the Vulture, I think, was supposed to be the the substitute for Venom. Like oh. that's what he wanted, and I was like, I don't really like the Vulture. <laughs> I heard that. So, like at, like when that movie came out, I was like. I'm fine with that. <laughs> See, I had heard. I don't know how. I don't know how accurate this is, but I heard that Raimi and Tobey Maguire both wanted to do Sandman. That was well, yeah. No, from the from the get go, I think Sandman was always the objective because I think the the special effects opportunities for Sandman. There's a lot of possibilities there. Like CGI was, you know, it's 2007. It's like we have all the tools to make the Sandman the Sandman. And he's he's a character with infinite possibilities. In the comics, I always hated him because of that. 
because it's like, how the fuck do you get rid of the you Sandman? Don't. You don't. You don't, That's because what... he always comes back. I think that the Green Goblin... Sorry, we've completely... We're, we're not talking about Sinister anymore. We're talking <laughs> about Spider-Man. I think the Green Goblin was actually the best of the Sam Raimi villains. Uh, and I know that people really like... What's the Spanish Spanish fella? Oh, Alfred Molina. I, I know a lot of people like him as Dr. Octula... Octopus. Octopus. Come I want to say Dr. Ocula. <laughs> Doc Ock. Doc Ock. Um, a lot of people like him as that villain, but I'm like, I think just because I'm, I'm more partial to a Willem Dafoe, I think he does the best of those. I movies. think he does the best, but uh, I wish that movie had come out a few years later, just because of the special effects and the budget. Like, uh, it was going to come out earlier than that. They had to CGI the towers out. Oh uh, yeah, I remember that. But the just, I'd hate that suit. I hate that suit so much. Oh okay. Oh well, yeah. Somebody uh, mentioned also like the the test. F- they had. Tried I've out seen a- the test footage. Yeah, the te- and it was. I liked it a lot better. That's what I've heard as well. Um, but it just didn't fit in in the in the world. I guess that they're crafting. Uh, but yeah, I hate that suit. It just looks. It looks cheap. It looks Power Rangery. It's very Power in the Ranger-y. worst possible way because the way it's lit, like it has no love put into the lighting. It's just kind of there. Yeah. Which is kind of shocking for a Sam Raimi movie. It's, it's a different... But in terms of performance and character, yes. Yeah. I think Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin is the best we got. Yeah. Um, although, I like Spider-Man 2 as a movie better. I don't remember a minute of that movie. Just watch the train scene and see Joey Diaz... Uh, stand- Joey Diaz is in there? Joey Diaz oh. tries to stand up to Doc Ock. It's fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm watching that tonight. All right. I'm you want to get the Spider-Man, you got to get through me. Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. <laughs> well, I'm going to, near the end, I'm going to bring up somebody else in that circle. Uh, uh, but, but yeah, yes, the, back, back the to one, The one, one th- fucking point <laughs> I've been trying to make for 20 minutes. Welcome back to Sinister. <laughs> is that Spider-Man 3 was composed by Christopher Young instead of Danny Elfman. And I liked it. Long... I thought his music was good, and it's good and sinister. No, That's got, my point. Got that drink of water for that really long walk. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. I I, I part. I, I helped do yeah, that. Yeah, little girl wakes up and bothers Ethan Hawke when he's watching the the hanging people, and then he goes right back to the movie. Yeah. Uh. So he watched. I actually kind of jumped ahead to the pool party. So he actually watches the people burning alive. Um. And he ends up calling the police because this is admissible. Like, this is evidence in an ongoing investigation and probably several ongoing cold cases. Uh, it has got a lot of cans in that box. I'm sorry. If you have video footage of somebody being murdered, stop what you're doing and tell the police because you're not supposed to have that. And he – I don't know what his motivation – I don't know why he keeps this because he's seen the evidence. And if he turns it in, is he just not allowed to use it in a book? But if he keeps it, how is he able to keep it in a? How is he able to put it into the book, without explaining how he got this footage? Do you, do you see what I mean? So like, this was really interesting because uh, the way this film is structured is there's not very much dialogue. Um, Ethan Hawke. Very and, little. Yeah, there's very little dialogue, yeah. and I actually kind of appreciate that. Yeah. Because I'm a big fan of visual storytelling. Watch like, the Ari Aster movie. Yeah, I like when you can when you can communicate a lot with a little. Um, and they do a thing here with some visual storytelling that kind of confuses the point a little. Um, and that's when he's on the phone with the cops and he's talking to the operator and they're like, 911, how can I direct your call? Uh, he actually walks up to his, his uh, bookcase mm-hmm. and he has... Uh, Kentucky Blood? Ken- Kentucky Burning, I think, or something like that. Kentucky, yeah, something. Um, he wrote, yeah, he wrote he, another he book. He has his, his big hit book. Yeah. His In Cold Blood. Yeah. 
Yeah. In fact, he references that yeah. directly. But um, it's funny, actually. Tell, actually, I, I didn't pick up on this, but like looking back on it, his office is disheveled at this point because he's he's moving in. Yeah. Like this is his first night in the house, and so he has his like his pin boards and he has the projector set up, but like the one thing that's squared away is his bookshelf yeah. with lighting and everything. Yeah. <laughs> like, so that's a nice that's a nice little touch that I didn't think about until just now plays like, into, plays it into plays your, into his character he's a narcissistic yeah, character he's, yeah. a narcissi- he's a narcissist yeah. because that's his his one great that's like his magnum opus i guess yeah. and he's trying to follow it up somehow but when he's on the phone he looks at the book and he doesn't say anything but we just get a lingering shot of that so i interpreted that as uh the conversation they had with fred dalton the sheriff earlier suggested that the cops aren't there to help him so yeah so i I interpret it as him deciding that oh the cops aren't going to help me because they know who I am and they'll they'll like throw this out the window or whatever. Um, but the point that you're making is that maybe he's thinking of the book like the potential. Um, if he if he holds this information, then it's his. Yeah. Then he can sit on it until he's ready to reveal it to the public and profit from it. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense to me. Gotcha. Yeah, because I was... So he's looking at the book and seeing another opportunity to make another book, basically. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I was like, this is illegal. You can't have this stuff. It's very not okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, we get some um, some noises. Uh, this is, the, like I said, this is the darkest house ever. Like, he's like... Fucking is, yeah. Um, uh, there's a reoccurring thing. He keeps being woken up by the, the Super 8 playing, like the actual footage playing. Is that it... happens a little later, but the box happens about now. Yeah, this is. The, I was getting to the box, but this is just creaky, creaking noises. He's walking through the house. There's a hall light on. He can't see through the rest of the house. It's like the movie The Strangers. There's a lot of footsteps up in the attic, too. Yeah, um, I would leave the house immediately. Like, this first night, I'm like, that's another way you can gauge it, as like, I would be gone immediately from this house. Uh, he goes in and there's like, there's a, a noise in a box and he's like, what the fuck? I think this was in the trailer too. I think so. Uh, but his son is, I guess, having night terrors and he like pops out of this box screaming. Upside down. Upside down, uh, shirtless. You're like, what the fuck is happening? And they take him outside, I guess to get fresh air. But this kid is screaming up a storm. And like, oh, he's having night terrors again. I thought we were over this. We kind of get like a... I don't really know. It only adds to this scene. It doesn't really add to the rest of the film. Like it hit this, like the night terrors. It's just to kind of give you a scare. In yeah, this it happens one more time in the film. Um, I interpret it as you know something is going wrong with the kids because at this point in the movie, I'd already, I already planted that seed in my head that it's the kids. Yeah, something's wrong with the kids. Yeah, like. Where's Stephanie? Who's filming? Who's doing this? It's like, huh? Well, Ethan Hawke's got some kids. Maybe I, maybe I, the viewer, should keep an eye on them for him. <laughs> and I think before this, even uh, when his daughter wakes him up, when there's footsteps in the attic and stuff, mm-hmm. he finds her in the laundry room. Yeah, because she can't find the, find the bathroom. She can't find the potty. Sleepy walks. Yeah. Yeah, and and even that's innocuous. Like that doesn't jump out as like a, a big deal or anything. But my mind is going like. Keep an eye on her. Keep an eye on that fucking kid. Keep an eye on that feisty redhead. She's going to be up to no good. She paints. (laughs) Artistic child. She's going to paint something sinister, I'm telling you. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, the boy coming out of the box in the theater, I'm sure, was terrifying. Yeah, because it's one of those moments where you're you're trying to make sense of it. Like, what the fuck is happening right now? Well, again, he's got long hair. He's he's like 12, so he's got, you know, like 
asexual features for the yeah. most part. He's not a man. He or looks a woman. like a, he looks like a little girl. Yeah, he looks I'm like not... a little girl, and he's coming out of this box like in his underwear, and he's upside down. And he's shrieking, and yeah. it's just like I don't even know what the fuck I'm looking at. It... Like at first, actually, my mind was, it's a ghost, and it's Stephanie. Yeah. I can see that. But then, like, no, he figures it out. It's like, oh, that's my son. I should run him out into the cold. <laughs> it's effective, but I think it's a little cheap. Just it, It's opinion. a little cheap. I think the second one is cheaper, because the boy's just, like, squatting in the bushes. <laughs> oh, that, I thought that one was creepy. That one was creepier. Uh, but I forgot to mention in the pool, uh, so the the family the family get tied down. We see in the 8mm footage. Uh, family are tied down and being pushed into uh, a pool and drowning. Oh, yeah, being pulled uh, into the pool, sorry. Um, but we see a glimpse of uh, what I'm going to call him sinister just because. The, this so, is the... this, is, this is a funny point. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we're at the pool, and I think this is a point where we get uh, the reveal of a spooky ghost character yeah. who, who will be named later on in the film yes. as Bagul. Yes. Uh, if you're I'm sorry, but I can't. Bagul. <laughs> Bagul. <laughs> Well, kind of like Baba Duke. Baba Duke. Baba Duke. Baba Duke. Like when you read Baba Duke, you're like, that's a dumb name. But when you hear it in the movie, Baba Duke. Baba Duke. Baba Duke is a little more creepy. Yeah, but Bagul. Bagul. No, no. It sounds like something Jim Carrey would say in a movie. Bagul. No, yeah, it sounds like a. Shaka! Shaka! Go! Shaka! Shaka! No, it sounds. It sounds like baby talk. It's stupid. It sounds like something I would say to a baby to make them laugh. It's I, I'm not trying to be insensitive here, but it sounds like something like a Jewish grandma would say, oh, it's a bunch of bagul. Like it, <laughs> yeah, no joke. Yeah. Like, that's exactly what it oh, sounds like. I can't say it without snickering. Yeah. No, I, I can't say bagul without snickering. There's and, a little mashuga. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you say you've been calling this character Sinister. Sinister, because it's the name of the movie, and I'm like, Sinister sounds like the the like the like uh, name of somebody from a black metal band. This is Sinister on bass. Uh, <laughs> fucking. But the, it's funny because the, the actual Sinister guy looks like the guitarist from Slipknot, Mick Thompson. Yeah, like, you, al- almost the exact same. Yeah, you sent me a photo. I'm pretty sure he designed his mask, though. So. Well, that. see, Slipknot's been around since. But the, has he uh, always had that? He's mask? Al- he's always had a mask like that. Yeah. Well, I I did a little bit of research on this movie, not a whole lot, but yeah. apparently the script came from the writer, not the director, who also co-wrote the film. But mm-hmm. uh, the the lead writer for the film saw the ring. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. obviously, and <laughs> had, had a nightmare, correct? Yeah, and it involved a film instead of a you know a Super 8 film like a VHS tape. It's not bad. So, I mean, no, I mean. I'm not saying that the movies have like overlap, but I'm just saying there is inspiration that's clear. You can tell that they reference, like the ring is referenced in this film in, in many ways. Um, and then the way they designed the character of Bagul was uh, the director did a whole bunch. He basically did a Wikipedia or like a Google image search just for like ghosts and stuff. Wow. And he found like a handful of images that he thought were striking. And it ended up being like a some sort of black metal character, like a like an artist rendering or something for from like a fan of the genre and they paid the guy like 500 bucks oh jesus to, to take that image and adapt it to film um so yeah it comes from that world but uh what's funny though is like i saw that there's a sequel to this movie oh i uh, i don't know how you would make that <laughs> um i just keep killing i guess you just keep killing families like it's i i mean i i don't see a point to it no, but, there's but no point. Apparently, Bagul is a franchise figure now, but 
Uh, yeah. Well, I can tell you why there's a second one, Trevor. Uh, it's because this made a shit ton of money. Oh yeah, yeah. Three million dollar budget worldwide gross was seventy seven million. Yeah, that's that's quite the ROI. That's why there's <laughs> that's that's an ROI. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the 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 issue I have with the naming of the character Sinister is that there's an X Men villain, Mister Sinister. Yes, Mister Sinister. That happens to look a little bit like Bagul, uh, and course. it's like that. There's some overlap there that would be a little confusing. Um, but yeah, we see his reflection. It's it's a reflection, so it's not very clear. Yeah, know, in the pool. Water. He's like under the water. This was in the in the trailer as well. I remember seeing the uh, the marketing for it. He's you can just see him. He's kind of just like I think, I, I think his name is in the trailer too. Is it really? I think so. Oh, that's bad. That's bad. Uh, we mentioned the pool scene. Uh, we were talking about this. Uh, the the filming of it. I wanted to touch on just briefly. The. They actually had to wait. The guy who does the uh, sinister character—I'm gonna keep calling him sinister. Uh, Fair enough. Because I just want to keep saying Zool, uh, <laughs> Zool from Ghostbusters. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they—they they actually had to wait him down. They had him underwater and like holding his breath. They had him weighted down a little bit to have him like look like he's standing underwater. Uh, and then there's actually people um, tied to these chairs, and they actually had to to get this uh, get this shot like pretty efficiently. Because um, it's they're legit doing it on an eight millimeter eight millimeter um, film, so I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Like they really, so here's what's gonna happen. We're going to tie you to the chair, and we're gonna drop you underwater. But we're gonna get you out real quick. I swear, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure Ed Harris died on the set of The Abyss <laughs> filming that shit, or nearly died uh filming that I'm like fuck that like i heard about ed harris on the abyss no 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 no. i'm not i'm not doing that yeah the tied to a chair part would make me a little concerned I'm like god damn is this guy legit is this a real movie like and this is before he he got that dr strange gig so yeah it's like hang on what else is he the, the day the earth stood still with keanu that was a disaster that was a shit film yeah. <laughs> how could i trust this guy I trust this guy um, I wouldn't want to do it for Steven Spielberg either because he has enough money he could just like well we lost one <laughs> what are you going to do don't revive him it's fine we'll say it was an accident um, but yeah I thought that was kind of neat but we we get some more canisters after this um, we get the this is the most red dragon-esque this is where it really hit was the yeah yeah. we get uh, people tied to the bed and this this is where it gets a little creepier because we get you know the, the mom and dad tied to the bed and then we're like, oh fuck! We see we see the the throat slit in the reflection in Ethan Hawke's glasses, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, this movie's fairly classy when it comes to violence. Well, they were trying to get a PG thirteen rating, uh, but because of the con, they, they, there's no like there's maybe one fuck in the whole movie. Uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot of cursing. No gore. There's there's no gore or anything. They're trying to get the PG thirteen rating, but I'm sorry, you're killing the fuck out of people in this. Like like these are. Scary deaths, like that's well, an R there's, rating. There's kids, yeah. You know? Like anytime there's kids, it's like you know you you can't do that. Yeah, we get the throat slit. This is where I fe- felt very red dragon to me because that's where he's like showing the pictures. Again, this is where the the choice of the editing style I think was very effective because mm-hmm. uh, we have the really creepy droning music. And by the way, the the music that plays over the car sequence I think was the creepiest in the whole movie. Um, it was. There, it sounds like. It sounds like an old-timey recording of, like, I don't know, like a southern chant or something. Like, almost oh, like a plantation chant or something. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a church hymn or something, but, like, recorded on really shitty old antiquated material or something. Um, but it's like a 
three second loop of it and mm. it just sounds like a woman moaning um and it just keeps droning on and on and on and this the the kniving and stuff like the throat slashing what makes it especially effective is that there's no sound oh you know what just remind me uh you mentioned black metal there's a really fascinating concept album that i've heard about it's very scary uh, i think it's a good like 27 minutes long and it's literally screaming and it's supposed to sound like hell basically i got I'll, I'll be able to find it once we get done recording and i'll give you just a little little snippet of it but it's it's a, a technically a black metal concept album where it's just noises and it's supposed to be supposed to sound like hell. It's really eerie. Huh. But uh, that just reminded me because you you mentioned that I'm like I wonder if anybody's licensed that to put it in a movie. It's a little too. I'm, I'm sure there are audio technicians out there that have pet projects like that. This is like, like creating a soundscape or something. This was like from the 80s or 90s when this was. Recorded. I mean, I I remember in college they had a a screening of all of like the. It was the MediaWorks program, so it was, uh, we had like stop motion animation, we had short films, um, and then one person had an audio only project that they screened in a theater, and basically there was nothing on the screen. Mm -hmm. It was all it was all the sounds the sound system, and so you were supposed to close your eyes, stare straight ahead, and then the different audio channels would oh. create the impression of like objects moving around you and stuff. That's pretty cool. Again, something that an audio technician, somebody who lives in that world would probably really love and appreciate but you know your average listener of music or whatever probably doesn't even know it exists yeah um but yeah the the music that plays over the the slashing of the throats is very effective as is ethan hawk's reaction to all the the films and stuff also the the little chihuahua also made things a oh bit, yeah. a little bit more intense too because it's like looking directly into the camera and barking but again no sound um and you know it's a good choice of dog too because it's small and you get the impression you, that yeah. it's defenseless and it's like it's sitting amongst this family that's all like strapped down onto the floor and stuff um but yeah uh, where do we go from there kyle uh so we we've got the family now now we kind of it slows down a little bit here um he starts gulping whiskey at this point because this is a pretty this is a pretty scary. Oh yeah, one. he looks away from the screen. He's just like Whoop. because the, now <laughs> now he's seeing the kids dying like yeah. like like point blank. It's not like somebody hanging where you can't see the faces. Not somebody being thrown in the pool and drowning or burning alive, which we only see from the outside. Yeah. Now we're up close and personal and we're seeing them actually die. Uh, don't gulp whiskey, you'll black out. <laughs> um, and this is where we get the uh, the nighttime attic visit, uh, which was insane if, if you hadn't already left this would be enough if you're like somebody's in the house he doesn't call the cops he's like i'm gonna go investigate shaggy scooby let's go yeah um with us with his cell phone as a flashlight i noticed that too and i thought that was kind of interesting because it, it it's kind of like the eight millimeter footage where we're, it's not a good light it's not an actual flashlight it it only gives you so much so much light so it's it's leaving like you can barely see his face it's just illuminated enough and uh, we get the sneaky snakey. Yeah. Uh, the snake pops out and goes into the to the walls, and then um, the the attic the the stairs shut and actually close him up in there, and he freaks out obviously, and he ends up falling through, busting his leg, and I think they call the paramedics and the cop. Yeah, there's there's one detail uh, that's important to note there. Um, he finds the lid of the box yeah. that, that housed the uh, the eight millimeter film canisters and. On the inside of it are a bunch of like stick figure drawings of all the murders, yeah. like all the all the footage we've seen up till now. Yeah. Um, 
and it's basically just like stick figure like crude renderings of what happened and then there's always a figure standing off to the side that has the label mr boogie written on yeah it. mr boogie yeah uh, again not scary <laughs> um probably wise to not draw attention to that um but again uh, this is very efficient from a from a directing standpoint because um while while it creates kind of shitty light the the cell phone that is um what's kind of neat here is that uh, it gives him an excuse to have a camera with him when he gets up there mm -hmm. so he actually photographs the lid yeah um and then he he puts the the images onto his computer which by the way he's at some point uh he starts recording uh the footage of the eight millimeter film screening on the wall onto a digital recorder uh, which is smart because he's He's trying to preserve the film because at one point, the first time he sees Bagul in the pool, uh, the film actually catches fire. Mm. <laughs> and this is where he uh, has to start trying to like um, learn how to edit 8mm film. I guess that's probably pretty difficult. I mean, it's, it has to be done by hand. Like, Herb, yeah. you're, you're stitching, you're like literally taping together cells. Um, it requires a steady hand and good equipment. Um, but yeah... Uh, the whole reason I think he had the cell phone instead of a proper flashlight is so he could have a camera with him when he got up there. But yeah, he falls through onto the into the hallway, and then his wife calls the paramedics. Yeah, and then uh, this is where the deputy starts to become a figure in the story. Yeah, James Ranson, Ranson, something like that. He's in uh, The Wire season two. He's a little piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, Generation Kill. He's actually doing pretty well now. He's uh, he's got he's got some pretty choice roles now. I mean, the two that you mentioned are pretty high profile pro productions. I like him. I actually he does a really good job here because he his the characters he play, Generation Kill. He's a marine mm -hmm. and he's he's good in there. He I could definitely see him being somebody um, in that group just the way he carries himself. He's annoying as shit in the wire. Uh, his his character is supposed to be really annoying, but he does a really good job here. Well, as like a not bumbling but. He's kind of starstruck by Ethan Hawke, and he, he's like kind of desperate for a friend, and he's kind of putting these two together. I really like the dialogue exchange here in the hallway, because you can't tell what's going on, because he just seems like an idiot at first. Yeah. But then you also need to remember that the only exchange that Ethan Hawke's had with the local police at this point have been confrontational. Yeah, very much. Um, so he's probably assuming that this guy's out to get him in some fashion or doesn't believe anything he's saying and wants to make things rough for him. Yeah. And so, like, Ethan Hawke at one point remarks that, like, oh, by the way, I found a snake up there. Yeah. And he's like, snakes don't have legs. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> As in, like, the, the footsteps that you heard upstairs couldn't possibly have come from a snake. I was like, that's a weird thing to key in on. Yeah. Well, he was recording when he was up in the attic. Once the cops leave, he once the cop leaves, um, he ends up signing an autograph for him. I think he's like, Can I he gives him a book. He gives him a book, autographs and it for him. This is also where the exchange starts to happen, where the cop wants wants in. Yeah, because he kind of barges his way into his office. Yeah, and sees all the diagrams. He's like, oh, you got all this stuff up here. I'm like, he's gonna get you in trouble. Like, you're not supposed to have that stuff. But the cop says it's okay, <laughs> um, or he's just not mentioning it. Yeah, he could have used it as leverage, actually. Like, like, oh, I want to be a part I, of this. I like that they didn't bother with that because yeah. that just would have been another layer of complication. No, this this guy is out to help him. Yeah, he's very he's very nice. Yeah. Um, but Ethan Hawke ends up going back to the footage of him upstairs. He's trying to look at the the photos and. His phone, I guess, got a picture of him, or a video of him falling, and all these little hands are pulling him down. Yeah. So, like, well, that's spooky scary. I'm going to sleep here again tonight. Idiot. <laughs> uh, but uh, the this is where we get to the nighttime where the projector is on and the laptop. And uh, 
this is where there's some spooky, scary stuff going on. <laughs> ends up pulling him out to outside. Um, he ends up chasing whatever he's like. There's some creaky, like some creaks going on. Um, the dog is start, starts yeah, the barking. The dog comes after the boy in the bushes. It's before the boy in the bushes, I do believe. It's after. Is it after? Because he drops his bat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His, he goes back to the bat. The sun is out in the bushes, which scared the shit out of me when I was watching it this well, time. He's got his eyes bugged out and he's crouched in the fucking bushes. Yeah, it's creepy. Staring at you. Sends him back inside. The dog starts like growling at him and he thinks the dog's growling at him. And this is where I didn't I didn't care for this personally. We start seeing the actual kids that are all missing. Yeah. They start to pop up. Yeah, I didn't like them either. Uh, a little bit a little bit later on they do some interesting stuff that I could be overcomplicating in my mind. I might be remembering it wrong, but um, the way I'm picturing it is a handful of scenes, like shots, where uh, Ethan Hawke is stalking through the house looking yeah. for an intruder. And the ghost children from the previous murders and stuff, the, the children that got away, basically, mm-hmm. um, they're kind of like playing hide and seek with him almost. They're like running parallel to him, and he never he can't see them from what we can tell. Um, but they do something that, again, I may be overcomplicating things. I may be giving them, the director, a pause that he doesn't deserve. Um, but the way I'm picturing it in my mind is that the children are moving at a different speed than he is in the same frame, which in my mind would probably be, require you to put the camera on a dolly, like a, a, a mechanically driven dolly, so you can like dial in a pace that mm-hmm. it, it moves at its mechanical it has no human hand touching it, so if you tell it to move at this speed, it moves at that speed perfectly. So I'm imagining they've shot it twice, the same exact angle, at the same exact camera movement speed, and had Ethan Hawke walk through normally, shot something without him with the kids doing their thing parallel to him, and then changed the, the frame rate of the footage mm-hmm. of the kids, and then transposed those two shots onto each other. That's, I think that's exactly what they're doing. I could be wrong, but that's what I remember seeing. Yeah, that's what's happening. Uh, but the, when the kids are moving and they move near him, the floorboards creak or the pass him, which I think is really neat. Because uh, you're like, what, what? Why are ghosts making noise? And they're like, oh, they're trying to, they either trying, they're trying to get your attention. Get out of the way, fucker! But, <laughs> trying to get to the toilet. To get to the toilet. Um, <laughs> but I think the kids are actually, because uh, we find out, I think the kids are actually trying to push them out of the house because that's. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, the way they react at the end that I, does kind of suggest. I that. think that they're yeah, actually yeah. trying to scare him. I think you're right. Um, that's a that's fun. I like that. Yeah, is, that's why I thought I was like, this is kind of stupid. I but hadn't thought about it at the time. But. It makes it kind of interesting when you're going back now. Um, but yeah, so he ends up. Uh, we had the spooky, scary stuff. Trevor, the boy's ah, name is Trevor, by the way. I know. Fuck that. <laughs> God damn um, it. <laughs> um, the wife wants to leave, and this is where I have Ethan Hawke is a piece of garbage. Uh, he's He's explaining to her that he he wants to stay here, but he's really just wanting money and fame. Like he's 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 telling her like, listen, we're gonna be rich. Like this is gonna be the thing. We have to stay here and deal with this spooky stuff. This is what has to happen. Yeah, this was a. I like this scene. Like it's it's difficult because it's two adults yelling at each other, mm-hmm. husband and wife just shouting at each other. But I, I like his acting. Yeah, like hers too. But. I like his a little better. <laughs> yeah, he's... Because well, she gets, like, really aggro real quick. But, like, him, it's like, I get where he's coming from. I was going to say... I, I don't would... sympathize, no. but I do understand his perspective. Um, I, I, I understand. When he brings the boy in, Trevor, Yeah. <laughs> um, I like that she's, like, on him, like, immediately. She's yeah. like, we got to go. We got to leave this house. Like, I knew something was up. You've been hitting the bottle way harder than normal, like, yeah. way earlier than normal. 
Um, so this is apparently a, a process they've gone through before. And this is what she was warning us about at the beginning of the movie. You're a writer. You've had drinking problems in the past, like every single writer ever in a movie. Uh, He's like, lady, I was wearing this sweater when you met me. Uh, yeah. You, what did you think you were getting? <laughs> like, it's like you knew what you were getting into. But I like that like, from like a blocking standpoint. I like he brings the boy in and immediately goes up to the sink and is just like scrubbing himself mm-hmm. and talking away from her. Like, mm-hmm. she's, like, yelling at him, like, yelling at the back of his head. And he's like, oh, oh you know, Trevor's going to be fine. We've done this before. He's had night terrors. And like, he was crouched in the fucking bushes. Yeah. Wide-eyed. Like, is there something seriously wrong with your kid? Oh, yeah, by the way, he also got in trouble at school for drawing in permanent marker an image of children hanging from, four people. Yeah. Hanging from a tree. Yeah. Without knowing anything about the murder house. That's supposed to be doing that. That's that's a gigantic red flag that happened like 50 minutes earlier in the movie, Dad. Uh, but yeah, they're in the hallway, and basically this is where he spills his guts, and he's like, oh, at this point also we've caught him watching a VHS tape of himself in yes. an interview. Yeah. Uh, it was for the release of his <laughs> Kentucky Burning or whatever Kentucky book. Blood, I think. Yeah, uh, basically his his big book. Yeah. Um, in the 90s and i really love the way they doctored this footage to look like the 90s yeah like and they he's clean shaven he has a shitty haircut like it's a cheap way of making ethan hawk look considerably younger and uh he's doing an interview on like a like an evening magazine type show and basically they're just talking about how oh you're this hot new writer and you you saved lives or like you repaired lives by bringing to light facts that the police overlooked and it's just reiterating everything we knew up to this point yeah but just seeing this character watch a fucking vhs tape from 15 years ago of yeah. himself at, at like his peak in terms of fame and fortune it's like this guy this guy strokes himself a lot well she <laughs> even says like he's like what if you've already what if that was your 15 minutes of fame like what mm-hmm. if it's not gonna happen again she's like, this could be my in cold blood and she's like well i think that your first book was your in cold blood and he's trying to recapture that magic. And yeah, what... and that scene of him watching himself that, that really hammers home the point that's like, yeah, this guy... He's not that great. He's not that great. He, you know, he, he's, he's in it for the fame and fortune. Um, we Some stuff happens. We move along. Um, he's like, who is that? He's trying to figure out who, uh, who the sinister is. Yeah, and you see some symbols that are common yeah. across many of the murders. Uh, and he ends up talking, to, he talks to the officer, he's like, I got a guy, this professor that you can talk to, um, we get, we see the lawnmower, the lawnmower thing, uh, uh that's like, in the, again, in the theater, I'm sure that was great. Yeah. Um, the lawnmower death is, it scared the shit out of me, because I just wasn't ready for it, and I think it's a kid that gets it first, too, so I was like, fuck, shit, alright. Oh yeah, and we, we cut away immediately, um, but there's like an orchestra sting. And, he, and how he's he's smoking a cigarette and like you're smoking? Yeah, I, I started acting in the '90s, so <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I smoke. Yeah, like uh, like Michael Jai White, the person that gets hit by the lawnmower, does not in fact get killed by a murderous clown. He gets killed by a music cue mm. <laughs> because we yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he falls down. <laughs> Why so serious? Um, yeah. So then we end up getting on a video call with Professor Jonas. Uh, who is Professor Jonas? Well, I don't know. He might be half bear, but <laughs> that would be one Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio. I forgot that. He, I forgot. I didn't know he was in it when I first watched it. I forgot he was in it when I was rewatching it. 
I was super excited. I'm like, God damn, I wish there was more Vincent D'Onofrio. I wish he would make a real-life appearance in the film, not just on a video call. Oh, man, like, imagine, like, a, a Shining-esque moment where he kicks the door down and tries to save the day. Yeah. <laughs> Ethan, turn off the camera! <laughs> but just, Vincent D'Onofrio is, he can be very creepy, but he's also just funny. He's just, a, like, inherently he, funny. He is an amazing actor, because he makes every inflection, every... Every moment, every frame of film he's on is his. The, the, I like the movie The Breakup. It was a fun movie with Vince Vaughn. He was so he's, good. He's the best part going back watching it. He's so fucking... Him cleaning his ear out with the handkerchief, just that alone is hilarious. That, that scene when they bring the family together mm-hmm. and he's being probed to like share with everybody like what the business plan is yep. and stuff. It's so it's labored so funny. and so awkward. And I love that it, like the person on the other end of things is so condescending. Yeah. <laughs> squibs. Oh, we got to bring in the squibs yeah. and uh, bring in the the air support. Yeah. It's gonna be <laughs> land, uh, sea, and air. Air. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's he's um, he sent tells him about the symbols. He's like, um, I think did he did he email him to him, and then he's like, hey, I got I got some information back for you. That comes at the very very end of the. Well, he, they they have their first correspondence via like a Skype chat, um, and they sh- Ethan Hawke shares with him some still images he took from the from the films and stuff. And he's, this is, D'Onofrio actually is familiar with the murders just based on the images they sharing with him. And he says it's Bagul, which translates to Eater of Children. Which I thought him delivering the line. It's your kids, Marty. It's funny. <laughs> But his, the other one that hit me, and like, it's kind of funny. He's like, any worship of the deity would include a blood sacrifice or the wholesale eating of a child. <laughs> just the whole, I don't know why wholesale just makes it so much fun. I think it's just the, the matter of fact delivery. Because, yeah. yeah. like, this character, Jonas, is supposed to be, like, he's a professor. Yeah. Like, he, he deals in this shit. He lives in this shit day yeah. in and day out. He, he delivers lectures to students and stuff. People who are... Usually, you know, young, wide-eyed, and curious. Yeah. And, you know, he's got an entertaining quality to him. I would take any class for Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, fuck yes! Easily. But you can tell that, like, he... For him, it's like, oh, you know, this is just fun research and stuff. But uh, at some point, it becomes clear that it's like, oh, wait, this writer guy who's calling me on the Skype is uh, kind of spooked. Yeah. Like, what's up with him? Also, by the way, Ethan Hawke does the Skype chat in the fucking dark. Yeah. Like, he has just a desk lamp, and he's sitting in an otherwise completely pitch black room. They spent, the amount that they spent on electricity in this movie, there's nothing. Like, it's like a poor family trying to save money. Like, they've, (laughs) no, turn a fucking hall light on. Like, he's, like, pitch black. He doesn't even try to turn on the lights. It's one thing if you try to turn on the lights and it's not an option. He doesn't even do it. He doesn't even think to do it. Well, I mean, I think it's Jason Blum is the the head of the Blumhouse Studios. I'm sure he was like, they're like, so we want to turn on the lights from like this from these hours to these. He's like, nope, 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 nope. nope, nope Got to keep it low. Got to keep that budget low, nope. guys. Uh, our '90s budget killed the lighting. Our, our, our aughts budget killed the lighting, so we don't have lighting anymore. It's <laughs> like, nope. You guys, you guys have to make a movie without lights. I'm sorry. Sorry. Figure Wes, it out. Wes Craven used all the lights in his uh, smash hit Scream. Uh, if you've seen that, it's the most well lit <laughs> horror movie of all time. Uh, so yeah, we 
Oh, by the way, um, you you told me before we got on the air about uh, Ethan Hawke and Vincent D'Onofrio have some connections. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. It, we, it, it didn't come together until you mentioned it. I was trying to think of an Ethan Hawke performance where he's not a di- like where you don't dislike him. And he's actually very affable in The Newton Boys, which is an awful movie. <laughs> uh, it's really bad. Uh, but he plays Vincent. They're four brothers, and he and Vincent D'Onofrio are brothers. And Skeet Ulrich is one of the other brothers. And, and Matthew <laughs> Scream. Mc, and Matthew McConaughey. So yeah, they do that. And you said there's another movie where they Magnificent played. Seven. Yeah, uh, I actually kind of enjoy that movie. It's, yeah. I mean, it's the Magnificent Seven. It's just it's a it's a western with a long history behind it. It's like a remake of a remake of a remake, basically, which is an which is also a remake of the Seven Samurai. So it has a long. Yeah. history behind it i wasn't expecting a great movie or anything but it has like every cowboy stunt you could imagine in it i can imagine. and if you if you show up for just that just to watch people do cool cowboy shit it's uh, fun greatest one of the best cowboy stunts i've ever seen <clears throat> mask of zorro antonio banderas when he's in the he does the uh rides on the side and flips around it's not him it's obviously a stuntman yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's one of the best ones i've that's ever seen that's just a fun ass movie it is a lot of fun um. we, we, we were visiting my dad and uh, visiting my parents, and we were just kind of hanging out on the couch. And we were just, you know, when you when you're there for like a long weekend, or you're visiting for like a week, you just kind of run out of things to do. So we were just sitting there, and he's just kind of clicking through the channels on, and uh, in the living room, and he's like, "Mask of Zorro just started." And he just set the remote down. Like we, all, we just ended up watching it. <laughs> it was it was. All, I'm like, damn, I had a lot of fun watching that. I love that movie. It's no, yeah. I, I absolutely adore that movie. That I think was one of the better theater experiences of of my youth. I think I tried to bash it for a minute. You're like, yo, get fucked. Like you're like immediately jumped on. He's like, don't, 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 don't you fucking don't you dare. even do it. <laughs> but um, in the Magnificent Seven, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's entrance into the film is fucking hilarious. Is that got Chris Pratt? Yes. Ugh. He's a secondary character. Okay. It's Denzel's movie, for sure. I wouldn't It's an Antoine Fuqua movie. He and Denzel have a connection. <sighs> no. um, Antoine Fuqua is an interesting director, because he makes, like, trash, but he makes high-quality trash. And I dig it. I don't, like, know, I don't know if I've seen any of his films. I'm trying to... Was he Training Day? No. No. Maybe? No. I don't... <laughs> I don't think so. Tra- I think so. Because really? Ethan Hawke is in Magnificent Seven also. And Ethan Hawke's, I love oh. Ethan. That, that's Ethan Hawke's best movie is Training Day. Um, but Vincent D'Onofrio's entrance into the film is basically some guy like stumbles out of the bushes and all of our heroes are just kind of like hanging out. It's Anton Fuqua. I know my shit. <laughs> and this guy like stumbles out and he's like, Denzel, help me. And Denzel's like, why? And all, then all of a sudden a fucking hatchet goes and hits the guy in the back. And then Vincent D'Onofrio like... he just like literally shuffles like he can't even pick up his feet (laughs) he shuffles out of the woods and yanks the hatchet out of the guy's back and he's just like anybody have a problem with that (laughs) and like i think chris pratt has a quip there where he's like i don't know if that's a man or a bear but but i want him on our side (laughs) yeah he's pretty big i would want him on my side uh his kingpin is worth the price of admission for daredevil like you, you can throw everything else out the window, but him is the kingpin in the Netflix Daredevil show. Oh. Whew. Dude, you get to spend, what, what, th- like 39 hours or whatever, 40 hours with Vincent D'Onofrio? Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> that would be a reason for me to watch it, but I'm still not going to watch it probably. You should. <laughs> you really ought to. I think you'd like it. Um, so we... 
we get something sinister painted on the wall. Uh, this is where the little girl has got the... She's got the painting of the family hanging, and then there's a little girl staring at her, which is very fucking creepy. That's always what I'm afraid is going to happen when I wake up in the middle of the night. There's going to be something just staring at me right next to my bed. Yeah, yeah, we've all had that dream. Fuck that. Um, but yeah, something sinister on the wall, and he's having a, uh, a meeting the next day. So now, Ethan Hawke's pretty spooked at this point. He stayed up the whole night, pretty much. He slept on the couch, and now the cops is talking with him need to be said he he locks the he locks his office every night mm-hmm. and every night the projector's on yeah so somebody's opening the office door without his permission every night um, and he again let's stay here yeah <laughs> let's, let's keep let's, staying here. we're gonna work on the story uh he's talking with the officer and he's like trying to explain to him he's like i think he's like do you believe in spooky scary stuff and uh the cop has a pretty good explanation of what he thinks is happening but he asks him is there something you want to tell me and I think I texted this. If a cop ever says or asks you, is there something you want to tell me? Stop talking and get a lawyer because that's not the questions you want cops to be asking you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is there something you want, to, you want to talk to me about? Tell me? Um, but yeah, we have... We I don't know what brings it on, but he's having a, a conversation. Oh, the, the little girl gets in trouble. Uh, she uh, They find the painting and he's like, why did you paint this? And she... She painted Stephanie. Yeah. Like, the missing girl, like a, a rendering of her hanging out on the tire, which we saw in the 8mm film, which the little girl, to our knowledge, hasn't seen. Yeah. And Ethan Hawke sees that, and he's like, oh, fuck. fuck. And the little girl basically says, like, yeah, this is Stephanie. She used to live here. Her parents died at this house. And I'm like, domestic dispute in three, two, one. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> Mom's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, you can see it he, in his eyes. He's like, this is going to suck. This is a really good, this was a really heated in exchange. The yeah, this was really good. Yeah. Um, and they have a really bad argument. This is where I'm like, there's no technicalities in you know marital arguments. He, he tries to put up a good defense. She... Why the fuck would he say technically? You asked me. He even <laughs> says it. I'm like this idiot because he's like, I can't believe you lied straight to my face. He's like, technically, I didn't lie. You're, you're, you asked if no we... wife has ever wanted to hear the word technically. Technically, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jeez. This is in a court of law. There's no technically. Ugh. And he tells her, like, yeah, this isn't two doors down from the murder. This is the murder house. And <laughs> it's it's really well, on both sides, this is really good. No, it's well acted. Very well. Uh, and they just, they both storm off and uh, he's he passes out watching his video again. Like you mentioned, he's, you know, got his glass of whiskey. It's a different one, I think, this time. It's the same one. It's just further into the interview. And what's interesting is I didn't have the subtitles on because I f- I think that's not right for a horror movie. No, like you, you, I, you need to be visual. I mean, unless it's a foreign yeah. horror movie. But that, e- yeah. even then, that's probably not the best way to see it because you're distracted. But, um, yeah, it, it's further on in the video, and, like, I could hear that what he's talking about is the concept of, like, raising a family. Yeah. Like, are you ready to be a family man and stuff? He's like, yeah. Well, <laughs> he kind of waffles on it. Because he's on the talk show because I think he was writing fiction before, and then he wrote a true crime story, and they're like, well, why are you trying to get into this? He's like, well, it's just easier for me to do because I'm going to be a family man. And she kind of hears it and is like, I forgive him for deceiving me into buying this house that had a murder in it. Uh, she does. She's just like, it's time to go to bed, you know? Um... And then we get even more spooky, scary stuff. I think this is where we get him going up into the attic and, like, sticking his head up there and the little kids that's are up the there. That's the breaking point. And then uh, that's where I've got, dude, get the fuck out of this house. That, uh, no, he does, to his credit. Yeah, he burns uh, He burns all the evidence. He burns all the stuff. I'm like, dude, that's, a, that's really illegal. You definitely can't do that. Um, 
but yeah, this is pretty much when the movie's wrapping up. He's like, "Go get the kids, wake them up." Yeah, uh, it's. I like. I like the, the editing. Like, they they put the pedal to the metal. Like, yeah, they really like speed things up here because uh, basically he goes up in the attic and all the ghost kids are staring at a projector screen, and then Bagul yeah. like jumps in front of his face. He falls off the ladder onto the ground in the hallway. <laughs> And then some something, some spooky gooky, uh, throws uh, the 8mm camera down on the floor in front of him. Yeah. And just, like, smashes it. And his instinct is to gather up all the all the camera and all the film and take it outside and sets it on fire. Sets it on fire. Uh, and then, yeah, he packs up the car and the kids, and they head off down the road. Yeah, the cop is even like, what are you doing out here? And well, like, they're yeah. speeding. Yeah, they're speeding. He's like, we're, we're leaving. We're leaving right now. And he's like, all right, good enough. It's a nice little exchange. Yeah, I like Fred Dalton. But they move again. I'm like, third mortgage? Because <laughs> they mentioned two mortgages. So like, so once I'm we get... pretty sure they move back to the old house. And I'm like, crazy nice house. This yeah, is it's a... an even bigger, spookier house. <laughs> I, I, I had house envy. Like, I like to walk through Cap... Like, when, we, when I live in Capitol Hill, I'm in an apartment... I live right next to the like the richest part in Seattle, so Steph and I would take the dogs for a walk and just house like porn. oh house porn, dude. I was just walking through. I'm like I had some serious house porn with this place. That's hard to walk around half chub and like Oof. an affluent neighborhood. Yeah, like, <laughs> a lot of hills too. It's hard walking with a boner. Oh yeah, no, nobody nobody wants to do that. That's rough. Uh, I I'm I don't know how I feel about the way this movie wraps up. I, I think one of the hardest things to do is to wrap is to finish a film. Ask fucking Francis Ford Coppola about that. <laughs> Apocalypse Now. Uh, he's like, I don't know how to end this fucking movie. It's, it's got to be really difficult, especially yeah. when you put so much time into it. I don't think there's a lot of time for this one. <laughs> but um, we get our... He, he has a conversation. He keeps ignoring a phone call from the cop. The cop keeps calling. And uh, he ends up finding the canisters again. And... He's like, what the fuck? Like, this is all bad. He ends up calling um, Vincent D'Onofrio again. Yeah, uh, he he finds the the cans of film again. And oh, by the way, he promised his wife on the ride out of town, uh, the book is done. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm abandoning yep. the book. Done. Um, and you know, him burning the film kind of suggests that that's the case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as soon as they get home, uh, he starts a fire, and then he's on un- he's unwrapping his stuff, and he finds the eight millimeter cans again. This time, though, there's a little envelope that says extended cuts, but uh, he doesn't watch those yet. But yeah, he talks to Vincent D'Onofrio, and they have a little conversation about Bagul, mm-hmm. and Ethan Hawke has an agenda here where he's like, so like, how does Bagul work? And and Vincent D'Onofrio explains that, oh, the, the images that I've sent you via email uh, are of the only the only surviving records we have of like artist renderings of this character Bagul. Mm-hmm goes back to like babylonian times and yeah. i guess the reason all of the artist renderings of the character have been destroyed is that the the images of the figure are the conduit in which it like gets at people like it, it reaches out to our world um and so in order to combat this people would destroy any any images of it because if you look at it if you witness it then it can get to you um <clears throat> so ethan hawk like he's like so if one was to burn an, <laughs> a rendering of this figure, would that get rid of it? And Vincent D'Onofrio doesn't really answer, but he pauses for a second because he's like, "What kind of book are you writing?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like that. I mean, he's a great actor. Yeah, it's it's really, it's a really good delivery. And he's just like, "What what are you up to?" He's like, "What the fuck what are you, you doing?" Do? <laughs> but then he and then he finally uh, uh, he finally 
takes the call from the detective. He's like, hey, I've been, or the deputy, he's like, hey, I've been trying to get a hold of you. Like, you just moved, and I've been doing all this work for you. And he's like, well, we figured out a pattern. Like, I figured, I didn't even realize it, and I stumbled upon it. I'm like, holy shit. So each one of the families, each one of the canisters that we've seen of families dying, each person that died lived in the former house of the last person who was killed, which... Is That's the re- easiest fucking pattern. So fucking stupid. It's uh, so simple. I thought it was really dumb. I'm like, that's how you're wrapping it up? Well, not only that, this was communicated to us halfway into the movie. Yeah. Because Ethan Hawke is like, he's uh, he got the deputy to do some research for him, to pull some records for him. And the people who died in the car, I guess there was a connection between the, the hanging folks and the car folks. Yeah. Um, they lived in each other's homes at some point. And I was like, that that's like halfway through the movie. And already you're like, okay, that's the pattern. Yeah. And it's not until the very fucking end that Ethan Hawke realizes that. Yeah. It's like, what the? You're the writer. You're the true crime writer. You're supposed to notice this shit. A first year phonology student would have figured this out, dude. <laughs> like, it's not it's not hard. <sighs> uh, and I, I, like I said, like, it it starts to end well, but then the explanation, I'm like, God damn it. I, it you obviously have to have it finish off the family. Uh, we get... I, there's a, a, a quote that I forget who said it. I think it was, I think it was some fellows on YouTube. But um, basically, it's it's a, it's always a really good feeling when you're watching a movie, especially a horror movie, when you know the frame in which it's going to end, mm-hmm. when they're going to cut to black and credits, you know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this one had a few shots too many. It did. It absolutely. It did. almost ended perfectly. Like, it almost because like when when we finally get our, our finale sequence, it, it just goes on a, just a little bit too long. Yeah. But, um, but so much of it is so good. <laughs> well, Ari Shafir must have, must, must have talked to this girl because uh, Ethan Hawke is watching this film and he starts to feel fuzzy. <laughs> he gets up and he's like, I don't feel so good. Yeah, uh, the big reveal of the extended cut footage is that we see all of the ghost children uh, in in the in the in the scenes that we saw earlier, so yeah. re- repeat footage, except for there's a couple of seconds of extra footage of the the child who, that got away walking up to the camera, dusting themselves off, and then putting a finger up to their mouth and doing a shh. The one kid that did the pool, I was laughing so hard because he's like looking away, and then he like does like a a quick like Derek Zoolander the, whip around like a, and shh. The, oh, yeah, I didn't see. You I there. didn't see you there. <laughs> it's really funny. Uh huh. witness um so yeah we find out it's the kids doing it and he's been drugged he ends up like i really like the reveal of him being drugged because we actually see the note that's under the coffee mug beforehand but it's not it's not like center frame it's there the prop is there but the camera doesn't fixate on it because the character doesn't fixate on it but yeah, uh, after he watches the films, he's freaking out, but he starts to get woozy. And we see a pink piece of paper underneath his coffee mug um, that says, like, Good night, Daddy. Yeah, Good night, Daddy, or yeah. something. Here's and your good night call. Earlier in the film, uh, we saw his daughter bring him, excitedly bring him his coffee. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's a father daughter thing. Um, and then he ignores her. <laughs> well, he gets a phone the call. Phone call like, the yeah. phone rings and he shuts the door in her face. Pop! Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, he he passes out on the floor, and then the music ramps the fuck up, and we get our 
finale. Yeah, they're on. Um, what do you got? Like a little chow or something? Uh, they're on. Uh, <laughs> they're on plastic. American Psycho reference. Yeah. Um, they're on plastic, duct taped, and everything. And I, I, the only way that this movie works is you have to assume that Sinister is controlling these kids or using his strength to do this because this little girl is wielding an axe. And I'm like, if there's one thing I'm less afraid of than a kitten. It's a fucking seven-year-old girl holding an axe. I'm like, what the fuck is she going to do? Even, like, I could be, like, on NyQuil, like, barely out. Like, if she's got an axe, what the fuck is she going to do with that? She can't. She's got no hip power. She's not going to get any. Well, we, they pretty much tell us, like, yeah, the little girl. It's all the kids killing the family, so the little girl kills the family. Yeah. And then, yeah, more stuff happens after this for some reason. She. Yeah. Uh, so, she... Ethan Hawke like makes eye contact with her. The music, like I said, is going nuts here. Uh, they're in like the living room or something. The entire scene's lit by only by the fireplace, which looks pretty fucking good. Um, we don't actually see the murder happen, but she pulls out an eight millimeter camera and like puts it on the floor next to his head, and it's implied that he gets decapitated and chopped to pieces and whatnot, and his wife and his son. Yeah. Um, but then we cut from that and. Uh, we're in his study. He has a study. Yeah. <laughs> Do we mention he's a writer? Yeah. And a uh, little redhead girl, she has the box lid for the 8mm canisters, and she's drawing the scene. Like, she's drawing stick figures, like, labeled dad, mom, and stuff. And everybody's in pieces. And uh, camera pans over, and the projector's running. <clears throat> and, like, all the kids, all the ghost kids, like, walk down a hallway, and they're staring straight into the camera. They do a neat trick here where, like, they... Oh, it's in reverse order, by the way. So we see the projector first, and then all the kids look to the side, and then the camera pans over, and we see the girl. Yeah. And then we pan back, and then all the kids start running away, and then Bagul appears behind her and, like, hoists her up and walks into the projector screen and walks away. Um, what I really liked, though, was after Ethan Hawke's murder, we get 8 millimeter footage of the girl in the hallway doing the shush... <laughs> Um, and then we get a bunch of footage of like just a white hallway splattered with blood and drawings in blood. Yeah. And the combination of the music and the grainy film and, and just the renderings on the wall, the blood splatter and stuff, I thought it was really chilling. And I was half expecting the movie to just end right there. It should have. I think so. Yeah. Um, but instead we get all the business with Bagul and then we get the, <laughs> the theater jump scare that, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's tradition at this point. Sitting at home. Go, yeah. Ghost face in the in the demon face into the camera yeah so we get to see that the eight millimeter film casters are back up in the attic for whatever next family moves in to discover uh, and then Bagul! <laughs> and then credits yeah so the, the, like you said like this is a movie that's supposed to be seen in a the theater this is definitely oh, a, yeah. a, a theater horror movie yeah there's um, a couple of jump scares i didn't even mention like um like there's some he, decent jump scares in here. Yeah, in, again, in the theater, this would probably be a fun roller coaster. Oh yeah, um, like Bagul in the bushes. Uh, there's like a little cylinder of light that's keyed in on like some bushes that are blowing in the wind, and then Bagul. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, there's the close up of him on the laptop that turns its head and looks at Ethan Hawke and then looks away. Yeah, you know, little shit like that. Like you know, if you have a date or something, you go, and like all the people go, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. Stuff like that would be great in the theater, but at home by yourself, it's like, okay. okay. It's like, Bagul! And you keep saying Bagul, and it gets less scary every time. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, 
pretty much sinister. Like I said, not going to rewatch this one. I'm pretty much done with this film. I just thought it'd be a fun one to kind of go through. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's a, I think it's an important, like, not footnote, but like bullet point in like, like the history of modern horror. Because it was a big fucking deal. This was a big, this was a pretty successful movie. Like, yeah, very successful. Um, I don't know how much of a legacy it had in terms of like imitators and whatnot, but this, I, I can't help but think of this and Insidious and The Conjuring and Paranormal Activity all kind of in the same thought. Well, this was, um, we're, we're making horror movies great again. Uh, <laughs> we were like, we, we were pretty much over, like, at least horror movie fans, we were over the torture, like the torture horror phase. That was. Like, kind of like flash in the pan almost like that didn't have very much longevity to it though the saw movies dude the saw movies were just just one after they were every year from no, like yeah 2000- that was a halloween tradition for like five six years in a row but the like the texas chainsaw massacre remake uh, like we're having remakes that nobody fucking wanted uh yeah friday the 13th Fr- and nightmare on elm street nightmare on elm both street. of which were garbage awful um especially the nightmare but this was like we're not we're we're not it's not a gory film it's just actually like building tension and giving us some jump scares which is more fun it leads more up to the imagination like the 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 llama we're going over the face like you said like we don't see it but you're like oh fuck that would suck so much oh yeah and i mean that this this is the foundation of horror cinema in, in the u.s at least is it, innovation mm-hmm. it's like we've seen so many of these tricks over and over and over and over again so how do we change it up it's like let's put a new spin on something familiar so it's like it's like the ring but and like even the the like the maturity of the filmmaking in this like it's it feels like a classier production than your average like trashy horror film Mm -hmm. like we got ethan hawk like we got a serious actor here in a three million dollar movie yeah i think i don't know how much he got paid for this but yeah and and the restraint shown in like the violence and whatnot it's like we're we're trying to do a lot with a little and I think that's oftentimes when you get the best result in sometimes in any genre, but especially horror, like mm-hmm. if you can accomplish a lot with a little. Yeah, this, this watching this, I'm like, I want to watch so many other movies now. I want to I want to rewatch Red Dragon. It's been a little bit. Um, I was a little harsh on it when I first when I first watched it because I just didn't really care for it. But I think it aged uh, a little bit better. I, I want to go back. I don't think it ends well. It doesn't. Uh, well. Manhunter. I'm not. A, I'm not huge on Manhunter, but Manhunters. Well, you I mean you don't like Heat either. No. Um, Michael Mann is a. Michael Mann. His movies have a feel to them, mm-hmm. and if you're not into it, then probably just not into it. I just didn't like Tom Noonan. I I know that a lot of people like Tom Noonan's performance as the Red Dragon. Like I think that Ray Fiennes does a really good job in that movie. I think so too. Um, I think they both do a good job, but I think Ray Fiennes. I haven't delved too deep into his filmography, but I have a theory that he has, he is very adept at playing a very specific type of character, and that is uh, monstrous exterior, fragile interior. He's so good at that. You still haven't seen him in Bruges, have you? I haven't. Oh, God. But in my mind, that's what I think of when I think of him. And mm. Dollarhide is that to a T. He's supposed to be a bodybuilder. Yeah. Like, in the book, he's jacked. Yeah, well, they show him in Red Dragon doing two seventy five on incline. No, he, that's they, a lot of fucking. Weight. In the dialogue, I remember it being kind of funny that they they keep mentioning how big he is, and it's like he's Ray big. Fine, it's like he's, he's like, big. He's like he's six not, feet. Like, yeah, he's you know, not huge. <laughs> Tom Noonan though is like the, six nine. The or some Rock. Shit. The Rock is the Red Dragon. <laughs> that would be fucking terrifying. Yeah. Um. But 
But the other the other side of that coin, though, is that he's he's fractured, he's broken, he's really flimsy underneath that monstrous exterior. And yeah. and like I haven't seen it, but uh, Schindler's List, I guess he's on the outside, he's like he's fat, he's he's an awful human being. But he's an awful human being. Yeah, but um, there's a movie I actually own that I'm not sure if I should own it because it's not amazing or anything but it's called Coriolanus I thought you were about to say Grand Budapest I'm like that was a gift bitch <laughs> <laughs> no no I love that that was great such a good movie but um, Coriolanus is a it's a lesser known Shakespeare play oh yes you told me about this and I think my, it's also directed by Ray Fiennes I've heard that yeah um, and my theory is that he had to direct it because no one cares about the play no one wants to finance this project but he's like this role is me <laughs> I feel like <laughs> Kenneth Branagh would have funded it, but Kenneth Branagh would have wanted the lead. He's exactly. Like, no. Exactly. <laughs> like no joke. No, like that's I exactly how it. No, it would go I want to do it. No, I want to do it. No. Kenneth Branagh should be everyone. Do you think? Do you think that when they're in the same room together at like cocktail parties or something, they just kind of like look each other and just give like a, a nod, and then they just avoid talking to each other? Absolutely. And then they always bump into each other at coat check, and they're like, Kenneth, Rafe. <laughs> Rafe. Lovely, lovely time. Yes. Well, I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> or not. Then, or not. <laughs> on the way through the door. <laughs> I hope he dies on the way to his fucking cab. <laughs> Kenneth Branagh's amazing. Um, his, wild, wild his West. His Frankenstein is is. I hate that movie. Oh, I so adore dead. that movie because it's bad. It's so bad. But it's bad in the most entertaining way because I can't. I can't help but see him like measuring his cock in every shot in the movie. <laughs> Who can we get to play the creature? Uh, Robert De Niro. Are you out of your fucking mind? No, I, I, to me it's like Kenneth Branagh pictures himself in every role in the film. <laughs> and every scene where we're doing science, I must be shirtless I'm... and oil. <laughs> you need to see... The... One cannot do science! Without oil and muscles. <laughs> you, need, you need to see the Harry Potter series because he specifically plays uh, a, a defense against the dark arts professor. And he's, he's really good in it. I, I do like Kenneth Brown. In fact, I've been meaning to watch his Hamlet for a long time. It has Ray Fiennes in it. it Ray Fiennes and... Can they, I don't think Ray Fiennes was in the series at that point. I think it was still early on. Yeah, he's the big bad, isn't he? Yeah. The noseless big yeah. bad. I like Ray Fiennes. It's an interesting design choice. We good. all like Ray Fiennes. Not Ray as much as Patrick Wilson, but we do no. like Ray Fiennes. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think what I have uh, set up for next week. I think I have something written down, but as we keep like moving through this, I'm like, I, f I think of something else I want to do. So I'm not going to say what we have for next week. Yeah, I, I have some like special projects in mind that time will tell if we can get around to them. But Kyle's Killer October, I feel, has been major success <laughs> so far so far so i want to keep the ball rolling i got to pick that right one next yeah, week so hopefully we can wrap up nicely yeah that being said uh thank you for joining us uh tune in next time yeah